um, how long do you think we'd last in a space capsule together? <laughs> you know, I said he would kick me off the plane I and onto a different planet. So I don't know. The floor is open. All of the space movies I've seen, nobody <laughs> lasts longer than like the two hour runtime. So. well a trip to mars i think is like an 18 month journey yeah we were reading or i once again sent eli this article from the economist that i read like i don't know it came out in like december but it's about this project called the hera project that's basically like testing groups of people to see how like human dynamics change in space travel in like a confined space so that they can basically like plan around like human conflict on these trips so it's like we predict that like by the sixth week like Eli and Claire will be in a fight so we're gonna put them on like separate sides of the spacecraft like because they have to plan their days like to the teeth basically yeah but excuse me it's 18 month round trip but it said researchers are creating computer models of how different people interact when confined together and using those models to predict conflict and optimized performance over a long mission Oof, that's insane i think it's really interesting too how the opening up of space travel is at the moment very cost prohibitive and so all the people who can afford it are these billionaires and what do we know about billionaires they're all at the very least extremely eccentric and it's just interesting to think of them all going up in one spacecraft uh, yeah now real housewives of like the outer atmosphere <laughs> the stratosphere yeah well last summer when it was like Brant, richard branson was like i need to go up before jeff bezos does and he did it and then bezos was like i need to go up just a tad higher like like further into space so imagine i'm just trying to think of like the dynamics it's like well i was i lasted longer on the mars trip than you did or like your bones are (laughs) your bones are now more brittle than mine are (laughs) oh man what is the brittle bone thing oh Oh, so basically (laughs) basically like going to space especially for a long period of time like severely changes your body structure and i think it also changes your brain chemistry but what I was just reading is that, um, and this is from NASA.gov, so pretty sure it's fairly accurate. Um, over time, calcium normally stored in the bones is broken down and released into the bloodstream. The high amount of calcium found in astronauts' blood during space flight, parentheses much higher than on Earth, reflects the decrease in bone density or bone mass. This drop in density, known as disuse osteoporosis, leaves the bone weak and less able to support the body's weight and movement upon return to earth, putting the astronaut at higher risk of fracture. So I'm also trying to think of like hundreds of years into the future, perhaps thousands colonizing Mars or something like that. The kids born on Mars will have like complete, either like very weak or brittle bone structure, or we'll need to like human engineer people to have stronger (laughs) stronger bones i mean think about it and then also like the amount of the type of exercise or something you would get you wouldn't see daylight really at all i don't know it's interesting we need to bring back uh big milk to solve this problem (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah forget all milks now oatly gone almond silk (laughs) it's out 
we're back yeah. to cows. Whole Honestly, milk that's for the like children. Good, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting collab. NASA and like, well, was Got, Got Milk was just a like marketing campaign for a gen, like by dairy. Yeah. By it's dairy. like the dairy lobby, like literally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's still going strong as well. Well, there was also yeah. that whole like um, lawsuit by, I think by the dairy lobby about almond milk. It's like, you're supposed to call it almond beverage now. Yeah. And for meat too, that mm. like, you can't call it burgers or anything. Well, yeah, meat that is, terms. yeah, that is my biggest pet peeve is like, almond milk or oat milk it's literally oats and water like blended up together so where's the milk where's the <laughs> milk <Almond at>? drink <laughs> um, well, i'll be sipping our almond drink from a straw in our space suits space aside have you guys noticed a big kind of shift in travel trends or things that your friends are talking about or doing in regards to travel i know like the three day the three day uh weekend is huge and a lot of my friends are like staunch hybrid slash work from home people who are essentially nomads at this point. Like they don't go into their office. They, they do the workcation, which I have mixed feelings on. Like I think that work and vacation should be very separate and the merging of the two. Well, I'm sure it's like really nice to work in like a serene, you know, like the coat, the Amalfi coast or something like that. I feel like I want to be completely tuned out from work when I'm doing that but I might be in the minority there. No, that's interesting. Talking of the three-day weekend, because at least what I've seen on TikTok and online a lot is that flights domestically are just as much, if not more expensive than flights to Europe. So a lot of people are going like, why would I fly to LA from New York when I can go to Italy for a weekend or Turkey? Or I saw this girl last night on TikTok who was talking about like, here's how to best hack your three-day weekend. And it was like, take a red-eye flight so you hit the ground running and whatever you do, don't nap on the first day. Like she was talking all about this stuff that you have to like. And I was like, that all sounds great, but going across the world for three days just would give me, what is it, space osteoporosis? Or <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm yeah. doing that. I'm very, or actually... <sighs> not against three-day weekend travel I won't say that but I do sort of prefer like the longer term trip I don't know especially like nowadays and to your point Eli about just like the workcation is I'd rather take like two weeks off of work just like all at once and like fully recharge and I have a couple of friends who've done that or just like jumped ship for a period of time I don't know. That's my plan. My plan, mm -hmm. just a heads up. I'm going to take yeah, well, a sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This um, is the first everyone is hearing of this. I mean, Airbnb has <laughs> now like, yeah, put it in the trine hut. Um, Airbnb has now, I feel like, staked their whole like business model off of people taking longer, longer weekend, like shorter vacations, longer weekends. And now they're also letting their employees work from anywhere. And still getting paid the same amount, um, Where, which is the interesting. Catch? Oh, I'm sure there's a huge, I'm sure there's a caveat somewhere. I wasn't reading the fine print. Are you kidding me? Yeah, um, it all sounds great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> second question is, I, I've also been reading about uh, kind of the proliferation of new budget airlines that like took advantage of the lull in travel 
when travel was like pronounced dead during COVID 1.0. Do you, and this is half shower thought, do budget airlines have budget pilots? What is the, <laughs> <laughs> what are they just younger pilots? Like, why is it so cheap? Well, I don't think the money is going to get <laughs> to the pilots, let me tell you. Um, no, I think that we get charged as a, con- a consumer, like excess fees for them to park at certain airport, like docking zones and stuff. I mean, specifically talking about Europe, because I know that Ryanair and uh, EasyJet have sort of cornered the market over there. And a lot of them, for example, fly into Luton Airport, which is like two hours north of London. And they say it's London, but it's like, you're not really going to London. You're going to Luton, which is like, nobody's <laughs> trying to get to Luton. Have you guys taken a Ryanair flight? Yes. Oh my God. And I okay, have yeah. never closed no, after I... a flight except for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the same thing. I was in Paris and we had to like take a bus to this like remote suburb and then it dropped us off (laughs) (laughs) it was so incredibly bootleg looking like we were in like a hangar I was like I don't know if we're making it it was we hadn't even taken off and I was already having doubts got on the plane anyway flew into Portugal (laughs) into another like (laughs) really like abandoned yeah abandoned lot but yeah the, the flight itself felt very budget as well yeah, but, I was, as soon as I got on my Ryanair flight I think I was like going what two hours or something so like uh, it can't be that bad for two hours I'll just sleep <laughs> so as soon as I get on buckle up like put my rest back or whatever and then they come around the staff is like all right we're coming around with the Cuban cigars who wants the Cuban cigar <laughs> Cuban cigars and then they're like okay who wants the credit card the credit card for the miles anyone wants the card? I was like this is insane they literally are like yelling over the loudspeaker for the entire flight, trying to get you to buy random tchotchkes or like weird, you know. Yeah, I forgot about Ponzi that. schemes. <laughs> They're like, who wants perfume? Right. Yeah. Like, I love, okay, I love perfume. Can I just say I love fragrance? Whatever, I have a bunch. <laughs> the last place that I want to purchase fragrance is on like a sweaty, stinky plane with screaming babies and insane flight attendants. I'm not like, oh, I can't wait for my bottle of YSL Libra to like. (laughs) (laughs) Do you patronize the duty free try? Um, In what way? Like I walk through it forcibly. Do you you purchase from the duty free? um, I have before only ever alcohol and only ever when I'm on the way home to my dad who wants alcohol. Yeah. No, I have to say I like shopping in airports. I don't know if other people do, but like, I love airport. It's kind of like the last or one of the few mall type dynamics that I get to experience. Like you walk past the most random, like, I don't know, there's like a Ferragamo in one of the airports and then like all the way down to Hudson news. I like to do like a full sweep. I like get some luggage at Toomey, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's fun. I don't know. I don't know. I love layovers. I, I have to say though, like, okay, I think that here's my hot take Gen Z, well, specifically Gen Z, but also like the wider generations in regards to travel are very excited about the future of travel, i.e. space travel, or very excited and interested suddenly in like the history of travel. And by that, I mean, 
train travel, the Amtrak, the Orient Express, traveling across the country and seeing it in ways that like a flight could not provide you. And there's sort of this like middle tier of travel, which includes the kind of same, you know, cruises, budget flights, and like inclusive vacation packages that just nobody is interested in anymore. Is that, does that ring true for you? I don't know. Like personally, within my like core group, I think people just want like a cheap flight somewhere and to like get there. Yeah. Like that's I, what I I think it's the same as like shopping for clothes. Like they just want clothes that's not necessarily cheap, but like looks good. Yeah, and I feel like needs like the whole backstory to everything per se. But I feel like to your point at the beginning of the call, Trey, too. I mean, obviously, we were talking about like space travel, which is like I don't know, different story, obviously. But I feel like travel itself is still like a very expensive thing to do, and like on a very basic level, like if you're Gen Z, you're young, and your disposable income is like low. So, like, I think I definitely have seen people do more like day tripping, like Greyhound buses to like rural Virginia for like an ironic getaway. But like, I feel like a lot of that is like, it's becoming cool because it's like cheap. And then it kind of spirals from there. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. That's like my, my very rough analysis of it. But yeah, like for me, I feel like I don't have enough like disposable income to be like trendy with travel. Like I have to be very deliberate. So maybe I should rephrase to say like, the reality is much different than what people are like lusting over travel wise. So I think though there is a rise or I have seen in people kind of romanticizing things Mm. like when we were served lobster on planes back in the like Pan Air days or whatever, Um. Um, (laughs) or Pan Am. So what, what trips are you guys looking forward to most? Your fantasy trip, it could be real, it could be fake. I'm not asking you to like, Give me the location details so I can crash. <laughs> no. I don't know. I really want to go somewhere like um like glacial. Not mm. to do the tour, like the glacial tourism is not what I'm talking about. The clock like, is ticking. I know, but that's okay. That's honestly that is part of it. Like I have never been to like Iceland, Greenland, Finland area. I've never been sort of the like lands. northern. Yeah. yeah. Or even like more northern parts of Canada. I did go to Alaska, which I really liked. Maybe I'd go back there. Mm-hmm. Maybe Antarctica. Um, but yeah, I feel like a colder. I feel like I've sampled like the warm regions and I'd like to go like north. Are you a beach person though? Because that really. Oh, yeah. Me. Okay. What's your um, trip, Trey? Well, I've been watching in the past couple of days the uh, highly rated per me Obama, <laughs> Obama Netflix show that's like very planet Earth, but near oh, the national Obama. parks. National parks, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea some of these places even existed. <laughs> I was like, something down by Chile, there's like these animals called guanacos that are like llama looking things. Whoa. Um, that Aww. are eaten by pumas. Which they have like this whole habitat. <laughs> but yeah, it's all it's all the circle of life, baby. But like I I think like Chile or that down there, South America yeah. somewhere would be amazing. Um, I want to go visit the salt flats and like the places where there's like a really, really thin layer of water. So it's just like one giant mirror. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to see that. 
Uh, the Northern Lights would be cool. Wherever they I've have those. Seen those. Really? I've seen that. They're incredible. Like, yeah. life, life changing. Um, now's the perfect time as well to see them. Because in, I think, later summer, they kind of dim. Where did you go to see them? I was in Norway in the Arctic Circle. Oh my gosh, my dream vacation trip. <laughs> yeah, it was. Actually, can I tell you about my, my vacation? Because it, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would repeat it in a second. So basically... I flew to like the Arctic Circle, this place called like Buddha in Norway, the very kind of top, <laughs> and then it went on like some boat to this island, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the island's name, but I stayed in a Sami hut, which was like a hut on the beach that was like made of some kind of skin, and then we slept on reindeer pelts that were like over a bed of hay, and uh, they built the world's largest outdoor sauna that was like this giant triangle with the fr- like the front of it was just windows. So you'd be in a sauna looking out upon the ocean and the Northern lights in the background. It was kind of insane. Shit. That's really nice. Oh my gosh. I did. Did you watch the Zac Efron show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really showing one. my hands. I I I'm very embarrassed, <laughs> but that's the reason why I, um, I got mm. interested in it. Like he goes to some, I don't know. It's like, there's like an environmental element. I don't know. He got really into like health foods and he's like buddies with this guy who I guess is like, I don't know, travel adjacent, but like the show is really about wellness kind of focus. And so obviously he goes to like all of these like saunas and like natural hot springs and things like that. But a lot of it was like that very open space looking out onto the tundra and northern lights wow. Zac Efron is my travel influencer of choice He's the gateway. and Barack Obama is your yeah. so <laughs> Eli do you have a travel influencer who inspires you wow I mean like <laughs> no but David Attenborough is like the voice of God I, yeah. if he told me to go anywhere I would go it could be like New Jersey no offense to anyone who's <laughs> anyone listening from New Jersey but could be where so if Sir David told you to go anywhere would it be space (laughs) (laughs) um if he was like and the 18 month (laughs) journey (laughs) will dissolve your bones I'd be like like, yes let's get those bones (laughs) (laughs) and that is a perfect segue for part two of the podcast where we chat with Jane Pointer Not only is she co-founder and CEO of Space Perspective, a luxury spaceflight company, she was also one of the original crew of the Biosphere 2 project, where she lived inside a sealed, self-sustaining habitat for two whole years. Tune in for more. everyone and welcome to day one fm i am here with my co-hosts trey and clara and today we are really excited to have jane pointer on the pod jane thanks so much for speaking with us on planet earth today uh coming live almost from kennedy space center uh, and still in biosphere one planet earth um how's it going how are you doing Good day to you all. Yes, it's marvelous to be an Earthling. 
today? It is. It is. So first, we are really curious about space perspective. Um, briefly, would love to know kind of what it is, how it started, um, and how its role in kind of the rising space tourism industry. Yeah, we're really a new kind of space travel company. You know, uh, Tabor McCallum, my co-founder, and I have been thinking about ways to take people to space that's truly accessible for a very long time. Uh, we've been in, in this industry for about 30 years, and we finally hit upon this idea of taking people to space using these huge balloons because you're going to space at 12 miles an hour. It is completely the opposite of a rocket flight where you get high G's, you've got to do the training, it's the right stuff, you know, everything that people normally think about space travel. We've kind of flipped that on its head and said, no, let's make it really gentle, really comfortable. Uh, uh, it's a suborbital flight, meaning we go up to space and then come back down again. It's a six hour long flight. But the whole thing is completely gentle and comfortable the entire flight. This is our initial offering that we're uh, doing with Spaceship Neptune. So, yeah, I'm curious about the overarching, like, I'm curious about Neptune in general, because in doing our research, it, I know you mentioned that this is very different from space travel in general. Talk a little bit about the journey, about going up to space, what that's kind of like, and also would love, love to hear a bit more about the experience. You know, it's a kind of luxurious design inside, reading about how there's cocktails, comfortable seating. So kind of curious about that as well. Yeah, so, you know, I think when most people think about the interior of a spaceship and kind of what that whole experience is going to be like, you know, you think of it probably as being either very utilitarian, like you normally see the inside of a, of a spacecraft as white and utilitarian, or in the case of the International Space Station, a little messy because there's stuff everywhere, right? It's not designed to optimize the human experience. And so we have put the human experience at the center of the design of spaceship Neptune. And for us, the, what we're discovering uh, as we talk to more and more of our customers is that this is a social experience for people. They wanna go up to space with their friends, their families, their loved ones to have this experience that they share and the experience is that of seeing Earth in space. It's truly the quintessential astronaut experience, right? So when you talk to astronauts about, you know, what is it that really inspires you when you go to space? And they will all say it's that view. It is seeing Earth as a planet and that there is the singular human family collectively living together as crew members on Spaceship Earth. And it's, it's truly from most of them, transformational. And so it's that experience that we're offering people in Spaceship Neptune. So when we designed the interior of the capsule, we had that in mind. So when you look at the interior, we're calling it a space lounge because that gets across the idea that it's comfortable and there is a bar on board and of course a loo because that kind of goes with it uh yeah, and yeah. i'm sure the view from there is pretty incredible i mean it's <laughs> going to be bathroom view of the world yeah it's going to be insane and you're going to be sitting there with you know with, with a bunch of your friends and buddies Looking at, there's going to be a 360 degree, almost 360 degree panoramic view at the largest windows that have flown to space. 
I mean, he's really going to be crazy. And when you see you see this thin blue line of our atmosphere, I mean, that's sort of the iconic view where you get the curved horizon, the completely black sky, and you see our sun as a star, which is what it is. It's this huge star. And it's going to be like something something you almost can't imagine I think I you know you can see pictures but actually going to see it yourself is really going to be it's just going to be mind-blowing it's going to be extraordinary I'm curious about your background I know you mentioned you've been in the industry for 30 years what is your own personal journey being and why did it kind of culminate in making this accessible to everyone and wanting everyone else to kind of experience space so we're, you know, as an industry, we've been talking about democratizing space for 30 years. And it's really only now that we'll be just beginning to see the beginnings of space tourism, space travel writ large. Uh, and so now you're going to start seeing it possible, more and more people going to space. So I've been thinking about how do we make this more and more accessible for nearly 30 years in one way or another. So it, my journey started really in this, at a project called Biosphere 2, where eight of us were sealed for two years and 20 minutes inside the world's first attempt at a complete biosphere. I mean, it was the first time anyone had ever tried to build a human-made biosphere. And, you know, planet Earth, is encircled by a biosphere, right? That's what we live in, biosphere one. And so biosphere two was the one that we made and then went to lived inside. And so Tabor and I were on the design team and then we lived inside that. And, you know, it was an extraordinary experience on many levels, but one of the experiences was that of really being embedded in my biosphere. So, you know, I knew moment to moment by moment that the oxygen I was breathing was coming from all the plants around me. I was breathing out the CO2 that was creating the food I was eating. And then I was eating so many sweet potatoes. I was becoming visibly part sweet potato. So there was like this total exchange inside the biosphere. And then we could see the edges of our world. So by extension, you suddenly realize at a very visceral level, level not just a not just an intellectual level, but a really visceral level. Oh, planet Earth is a biosphere that we're all embedded in and has, uh, you know, finite resources, essentially. So it was a really powerful experience that completely flipped my idea about, you know, how we are living on Spaceship Earth, right? And that has lived with me for my entire life and set me on this path of wanting to take us all to space because that's, essentially the experience that astronauts have when they see our planetary biosphere in the context of space. They suddenly see the limits of it, the edges of it against this stark blackness of the desert we call space. And do you have an agenda, would you say, with taking people to space? Like, I know you'd I'm sure it shifts your perspective completely. Mm. And, you know, do you want people to kind of take anything away from it other than just enjoying themselves or, or seeing the world anew? Well, so it, as a business, it is not our job to tell people how to think. 
What is our job, though, is to give people the most incredible experience and really make the most of going to space. And the way astronauts talk about, you know, what we've come to call the space perspective, you know, it's really poignant. It's really powerful. And so we want to be able to give that to people. Uh, You know, if you look at the trends in travel, you will see that people want meaning and purpose in their travel experience. In everyday experiences, right, we're all looking for meaning and purpose. Uh, I think this is a way to have an extraordinary experience that is fun, that is exciting, but also has meaning and purpose for many people. Where do you really see the future of sort of space travel for regular people going like in the next 10 years, next 20 years? Like, is it going to be as easy as booking a flight? Is it going to be about sort of long term stays in space? Um, Yeah, like what's on your radar kind of? Yeah, so I think it's really exciting to think about where we are, right? So, you know, 30 years ago, the idea that we were going to have space tourism was, I mean, even to people in the industry seemed a fantasy, And now here we are, when you look at the beginning of this century, there were about eight people that were private citizens went to space and they were all taken to space by government vehicles. And last year, we had many times that in a single year, and they were mostly taken by private enterprise to space. So we're now beginning to see the beginnings of a real tourism, space tourism industry. This year, we're going to see even many more than last year go. And then once we're operating around the end of 24, you're going to see a lot of people start to fly. So you're really beginning to see the knee and the curve of people going to space. And as this scales, you will see the prices come down. Uh, That might take a little while, but you will see prices eventually coming down. So yes, I think about this in the same way as aviation starting when you know when airplanes were first flying you know people were like oh this is just going to be for wealthy people and governments and now look you know this is it's affecting so much of our lives and the same is going to be true for space travel i'm curious well first of all yeah i can't wait to book our tickets but um i'm curious as to like who currently are the types of, I guess, uh, customers or travelers who are on the wait list or curious about um, going to space perspective? Would you say it's folks who are traveling um, just for the sake of travel or because they would like to get a new perspective on Earth? Is it people with a science background? Is that something that you look into when people kind of like apply for the six hour journey? Yeah, so uh, what's kind of cool is that we have sold almost 100 flights already. So that's close to 800 tickets. Um, We only put tickets on sale last June publicly, which is pretty awesome. So that demonstrates, you know, pretty significant demand. And really, we've hardly got out there in the public yet. So so we're super excited about that. And then when we start thinking about how people are buying, so uh, we're, you know, we've, people can now buy a ticket to space online with a credit card. You just have to put down a refundable deposit right now. And then we're also uh, enabling people to purchase 
with cryptocurrency. So, you know, all of this accessibility allows a very broad range of people uh, to purchase tickets. Uh, we have almost 50% of our tickets are bought as in the people have bought out the entire capsule. Uh, we've actually have more than one who have bought out several capsules because they want to go out with different groups of people. So that's pretty awesome. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a really broad spectrum of people. Um, I will say mostly from the U S at the moment, that's probably because that's where we are known. Uh, we're not known globally yet. Um, though we're planning to fix that soon. Uh, and, uh, we have gosh, people from all kinds of backgrounds, but because we're we're kind of at the early adopter stage, you, it is a lot of people who have really wanted to go to space their entire lives, but couldn't quite imagine themselves going on a rocket flight. I mean, that's one of the things that's so powerful about this is that you don't have to kind of get over that, that which for some people is a real barrier. Uh, of having to strap yourself to a rocket to go to space. You know, it's just not that. Uh, And so it is definitely a lot of people that have thought for a long time about wanting to go to space. Uh, But it's also people who are like, wow, I never thought about doing anything like this before. This is amazing. Count me in. So it's really, truly a a broad spectrum. And we'll get more and more of that latter group as, as, uh, as this goes along for sure. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have to see what we might be able to finagle as far as a business expense for changing our for creative inspiration and uh, shifting our perspective. So we'll talk to Josh after. But Trey, I know you had a I know you had a couple of questions as to how the balloon actually works and kind of the, the science behind it as well. Yeah, I would I would love if you could break down how the balloon works, what kind of balloon it is, how long it takes to go up. You know, how long you spend there? Is it easy coming back down? Is it safe? How does it all work? So the entire initial flights are going to be roughly six hours long. And so you're going to space at 12 miles an hour. So it takes you roughly two hours to get up to space. And you're floating on top of the atmosphere. So we're up at 20 miles roughly. And the balloon which when it is fully inflated at altitude is the size of a football stadium. It's that big. So it is literally using buoyancy to float on top of the atmosphere, rather like an ice cube floats on top of your glass of water. So it's just lighter than the air around it. Uh, And so then we're going to have people up there for roughly a couple of hours to really soak in that whole experience. And then it takes about the same time to come back down, uh, approximately two hours to come back down. Uh, We splash down in the ocean. The ship is right there, picks the capsule up out of the water within just a few short minutes, puts it on the deck of the ship, and then everybody disembarks onto the ship and everyone's brought ashore, Uh, which is the same way that the Dragon capsule is uh, actually retrieved out of the ocean. Uh, They they take it out, put it on a deck, and everybody disembarks onto the ship. Uh, So the entire flight is seamless. Uh, You go up under the balloon and you come back down under the balloon. So the entire flight is this gentle, seamless experience. Also, because you're not 
changing from one flight system to the other, which every other flight system has to do at some point, it also means that it's much safer. Because whenever you have to have those kinds of dynamics, you're inserting ways for risk to enter into the system. So we've just eliminated all of that. Then the balloon itself is is the kind of balloon that has been flown by NASA and others over a thousand times. And so it's inherently safe. Uh, We don't ever use a parachute system during a nominal flight, but of course you always have to have backup systems. So there is, between the capsule and the balloon, there is a um, a partially pre-deployed parachute system, which is the kind that is used uh, to bring vehicles routinely back from space or from these altitudes. And it's also been flown over a thousand times and has never failed. So our primary and our backup systems are inherently incredibly safe. And then the whole flight operation is also designed to be super safe. That's so awesome. fascinating. Um, I'm, fine. I'm curious about what it means to be part of this community, because I know that only kind of like a handful of people, I guess you could say, have gone to space. So what does it mean to be a part of the space perspective community as a whole and like be part of the crew who has gone up, uh, come back down, um, and how that's kind of fit into your overarching business plan as well? Yeah, I love that. So it, you're exactly right. I mean, today, you know, fewer than 600 people have gone to space. So it's a very small group of people. And I can say that from my experience inside Biosphere 2, you know, there's only a very small handful of us who have had that experience. And it was a very powerful experience. And when I came out, it was actually, interestingly, I really wanted to share the experience with everybody. Uh, but the only really the people that had gone into the biosphere really truly understood it. And so that becomes a very powerful bond. And so I believe that when people go up and return, this is going to create a tremendous bond, not just between the people that go up in the flight itself, but all of the people that have been to the space or have been uh, or are becoming uh, spaceship Neptune space explorers. You know, I think it's going to create this very deeply connected group of people, uh, which I think is really amazing. And you know, there isn't that many you know, places in life where one gets to create these very deep bonds. And I believe this is one of them. I can definitely imagine going to space and making some very fast friends. Uh, I'm also curious if you can kind of break down the cost. How much does it cost to go on a flight? Um, And then kind of what do you expect in terms of cost or financials uh, for how that will change as this, I don't know, space race, I guess you could call it, kind of becomes more common. Yeah, so we can break it down, right? So if you think about going to orbit right now, if you want to go to the space station or something like that, you know, it's on the order of 50 million. Uh, and then other suborbital flight, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that's that's not inexpensive. And then if you want to uh, do another suborbital flight offering that are all rocket-based, that is anywhere from almost half a million to over a million. We're able to bring it down significantly from that. We're at $125,000 a seat. Right now, we're asking people to just put down a uh, $1,000 refundable deposit. 
you can pay a little more for the deposit and be put a little earlier in the line uh, to, to fly. But no matter where you go, currently the tickets are all $125,000. You know, the demand is such that I wouldn't be surprised if we end up putting the ticket prices up just a little bit before we eventually bring them down. It is certainly our intention over time to bring them down though. Uh, you know, we really do want to keep opening the doors to space to as many people as possible. You know, we've done that initially through making it very physically accessible. Uh, and now we, uh, over the long run, want to also then make it increasingly financially accessible. That's great. And I'm curious too, do you work with, uh, somebody to make the experience luxurious in terms of like, I heard there was a bar on board and designing the seats and like, how did that experience come to life? Yes, yeah, so uh, we have an in-house team uh, of designers that have actually designed the capsule that you see online and, and the space lounge. But we are also beginning to work with an amazing array of people. And the first one, uh, that we brought on board is uh, David Brutman. Uh, he is like a really renowned um, hospitality creator. Uh, he's just really known for for really creating powerful atmospheres and really amazing places for the that people just flock to to go hang out in. Uh, so he is uh, our experience curator and is really helping us now take take what we've got and really deepen it. You know, one of the things for us is that when people uh, purchase a ticket, their experience with us starts right away. So the flight, of course, is sort of the, the pinnacle moment. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we're going to be doing with everyone along the way. So, for example, this week we were at the Explorers Club in New York, where I've been a member for almost 30 years. Uh, and our um, our senior technical advisor, who's a Hall of Fame astronaut, Jeff Hoffman, was there with me talking about his amazing experience of being in space. So we, of course, invited uh, Explorers uh, who are our space explorers, customers who are in the area to come and, and participate in that event. So there's going to be a whole variety of these really amazing events for people to get involved in along the way, uh, which I think is also really cool. And then afterwards, you know, once the once the flight is over, I, uh, some people are going to go several times in different locations around the world. Uh, and regardless if they fly again or they don't, I think uh, there's a lot of things that they're going to want to do with this this community of people that is that is really growing around this extraordinary experience of, of the space perspective. So fascinating. Um, Jane, I know we're, we're wrapping things up here. So finally, I just curious um, if you could give kind of like a quick plug, where can people learn more about space perspective and all of the really fascinating work that you guys are doing over there? Yeah, thanks. So you can go to our website at spaceperspective.com. Follow us on all social channels, of course, would be awesome. And you can find out all about the amazing thing our team is doing, because this is a team sport. This entire venture would not be possible if it wasn't for the incredible team that is the, the Space Perspective crew. Uh, and then you can go buy a ticket to space online. I feel like we might be doing soon, sooner than we think. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. This is great. 
Thanks for listening in. Be sure to check out more on d1a.com forward slash perspectives and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter to get the latest trends and insights directly to your mailbox. 